Hey, everybody, coming up on the Matt Townsend Show today, fighting and squabbling. Boy, that couldn't be more true. Your kids do it, and we adults don't set much better example, do we? Maybe it's out of our inner drive to compete with one another. You ever notice how everything seems like a competition? We're talking about it right after the news with Sam McCall. This is Sam McCall for BYU Radio News. The city of Detroit is filing for bankruptcy protection and is now the largest city in the nation to ever do so. The filing seeks to protect the city from both its creditors and the unions who are working to renegotiate over $18 billion in debt. A bipartisan coalition in the Senate reached a deal with President Obama today to bring the student loan interest rate back down before students head back to classes this fall. The new plan will tie the interest rate to market conditions. A man who was prepared to testify against accused mobster Whitey Bulger has been found dead in what authorities say appears to be a suicide. One friend says the man had learned the day before he had been dropped from the witness list. Texas Governor Rick Perry signed new sweeping abortion restrictions into law today, which will ban the practice after a pregnancy reaches 20 weeks. The law was the source of large protests for and against the increased regulations for several weeks. In world news, a Reuters source says peace talks to end the Syrian conflict, which is now entering its third year, may not happen until 2014, if at all. Another source is also warning British leaders have likely abandoned their plans to arm Syrian rebels. A United Nations Security Council probe is going to investigate the weapons found on board a North Korean ship by Panamanian authorities. Cuban leaders say missile equipment and old MiG fighters discovered are obsolete. Two major Canadian rail companies are reviewing their safety standards following the tragic crash and explosion of several oil tanker cars which killed 50 and destroyed the center of a small town in Quebec earlier this month. That's the news to the top of the hour. For BYU Radio, I'm Sam McCall. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your relationship coach, your guide on the side. We do what we can on our program every Monday through Friday to help you and your loved ones grow healthier, happier lives. And today is no different. Are you ready for this one? Today we're talking competition. Have you ever just felt like you're in a competition and you don't even know why? You just want to do your thing. You just want to contribute to society. And then all of a sudden, people around you are turning it into a competition. You know, it could be anything. I, I've actually found it's one of the greatest motivators I have in my family is to turn something that's just normal, everyday activity, and we turn it into a competition. And, we, and you know what? I think it's ruining my children because now everything's a competition. We even compete on who gets to church first. And whoever gets to church, it's crazy. So now I have people sabotaging each other on the way to church. Everyone gets there with a bad feeling. And in the end, I'm not sure competition is the end-all be-all. You know, um, there's some things that aren't or shouldn't be competitive. Yet, if you look at the uh, if you look at the internet or if you look um, at some of our wonderful television programming, some things that never used to be you know, a competition are becoming a competition. How about eating food, for example? Should we be competitively eating hot dogs, Bryce Tobin? Uh, while impressive and uh, a <laughs> little terrifying, uh, it's 
why? why? How is what's the how deal? is overeating? Like that's yeah. like I can punch myself in the face way many, like so many more times punching. than this other guy, right? Or this other person. It's not smart. It's not. I had a uh, buddy of mine who won the pie eating contest. Pie eating. That, uh, oh, see, this started at the county yeah, fairs years ago. You know, you think he was at Knott's Berry Farm, and and he finished the the certificate. For the victor was a certificate for a free pie. Oh, it's kind but, of like uh, probably the least. You're probably not interested at all I'll in pie. pie. But he's he's waddling away, wiping pie off his face. He says, "You know, when you win a pie eating contest, you also kind of lose." Oh yeah, <laughs> he was the best overeater there. But you, if you've ever seen him eat the hot dogs, they dip the hot dog in water and then shove it all in their mouth. So you're eating a soggy hot dog, which, you know, makes sense if you're at the fair and it's raining. And you don't get a chance to savor the hot dog. No. So it's now competition. Pie eating. This has gone on for years, but this is also go, goes back to the days when also they'd pull out a bearded lady and everyone would look at her like, oh, look at the bearded lady. And you thought, you'd think we had evolved, but no, there's always... Clearly, we've still got growing competition. to do. So uh, one thing we tried to figure out as a team um, for the show today is what are some things that aren't competitions, but maybe we could even turn them into a competition? Brushing your teeth. Oh, yeah. How? You just, you line your kids up. But, oh, but see, that's... Oh, sibling. Oh, yeah. Well, that introduces an entire new realm of competition. Well, it also introduces bloody gums because then you're just going to brush too hard. Or to, like, my kids have to go, you're supposed to go two minutes. Plaque in the back, bloody gums in the front. (laughs) Plaque in the back. Um, So you could do that. How about competitive dishwashing? See, that needs to become a thing. Oh, yeah. A thing that I will avoid, but... Just hope you don't you don't have stoneware and that you have uh, well, plastic well, dishes. Well, well, here's what I've noticed: once it becomes a competition, and once someone realizes they can make maybe some money off of it, that's it. Then they come up with technology and techniques and guidebooks and oh, ways yeah. to do things better. Like football in the 1890s, we were a bunch of idiots doing it, but now, oh boy, do we have the science down. We're still a bunch of idiots. I wonder if competitive <laughs> dishwashing is what goes on in the buffets because I, I it was a big. National chain buffet. I won't say which one, but I went in and I pulled the plate and it was dirty. <laughs> yeah. And the next plate was dirty. And the next plate was. Yeah. Uh, did they even? It's like they just hit it's, them with water and then yeah, just maybe put competition them right back is out. not the best way to do that. How about competitive um, video gaming? That's actually a thing. That's actually a thing that's making lots of money. I know. Isn't that crazy? We used to say, "You're gonna. What are you gonna do with video gaming?" And now it's like I don't know. Make. Ten times more than you, Dad. In, in fact, there's there's a certain gaming league for for a certain game that just got actual sports stat, international like official sports really? status. Now people can get visas to go to countries to play. They currently or they they weren't able to do that. Now most games are done over the internet. A video so it's not gaming a big deal. visa. But yeah, they, you can. There's guys who can get a visa saying we are going to this competition to play video games. So allow me into your country for a week. Holy cow! Where does this end? Where does it end? Everything's a competition. All the TV shows are competitions. Ratings. All the networks are rating and, and going for ratings. It's all competition. Is this healthy? Well, it, it could be motivating if if it makes you do something better because you're trying to beat out the other person. Like, I mean, Tanya Harding. Well, that's yeah, that's not better. Wasn't she the one who? Yeah, she got you know. Tanya beat up. Um, uh, Nancy Kerrigan? Kerrigan. Was that her name? Was that Nancy? I don't know. Yeah. Yes, I know the last her. name's Kerrigan. Clubbed her. 
Took her knee Had out. Had her boyfriend hit her with a crowbar. One in doubt, take her knee out. It's a rhyme. Ain't that sad? All the work and competition in, I think it's figure skating, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. And yet you're always remembered by the, the one kind of the one bad fatal mistake the low you point. make for your career. <laughs> you see, like, again, that's just that's regular. That was Olympic competition. Yeah. That's healthy, right? It's just maybe it's just seeping into too many things now. I've seen it seep into relationships. This morning, I had a husband and a wife in my office, and he was kind of trying to get her to compete with the neighbor because the neighbor just had liposuction. Classy. And so, I mean, you know, Stacy had it. I'm just saying. <laughs> I mean, and I, the minute I heard that, I'm like, oh, you need to listen to our show today. Maybe we ought not try to get changed by com- getting our wife to compete with the neighbor lady. That's a new dark side to keeping up with the Joneses, you know? <laughs> keeping lipoed with the Joneses. Like, there's one thing like having your lawn look nice, or, but. Uh, you know, oh, they expanded their kitchen or, you yeah. know, bought a boat. But when it starts to get to the point where it's invasive, that's kind of. It's a big deal. And I think, yeah. as, I don't think as parents we quite get it, but it's. It's creeping in. I had a, a child come in to see me, a teenager boy, young boy, who – and the parents called me and told me he's lying a lot. He lies a lot. He's lying. And I listened to him and what it is is um, he doesn't feel like he's kind of adding up to what his parents want him to be. He's not as successful as he, his par- he thinks his parents want him to be because he's not a star. But he's an incredible athlete. He's just really, really small. So he feels kind of less than, and his parents tend to be a little more competitive. So this child that feels less than is now starting to make up lies like, hey, we went back in the woods, and when we were in the woods, I saw a bobcat. And there was no bobcat. There was no cougar out in the woods. There was just nothing. And he came home and told his parents that, yeah, he almost got eaten by a bobcat. Hmm. Totally normal. Lie. But the lie is just him trying to get attention from his family because he doesn't feel like he's adding Is he up. Mi- a middle child? He is, yeah, in the middle. Because I, I, I <clears throat> haven't thought of this before. I had one of my best friends growing up was a middle child. And he made up all sorts of stuff. Oh, he yeah. said he had a seismograph station in his house. And, <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. Was oh, wow. Really random things like that. But. Uh, but he, I think he wants attention. It was yeah. He he probably developed it because he had some very outgoing older brothers yep. who got all the attention. Yeah. Well, how do you? Yeah. Well, how do you get ahead? You tell people you have a seismograph. I mean, it seems obvious in well, your house. They're not coming over. They they can't prove you wrong. No. It may be ridiculous. Well, I asked him to show it to me, and he said he he couldn't. It was locked up. Yeah, my parents lock <laughs> up my seismograph because it's so expensive. No, oh, that's an airtight lie. That's, right? yeah, how are you going to find out? I, I, I believed him until about two or three years ago. You know? <laughs> the amazing thing about this boy is so I asked him, um, instead of that, tell me everything you're proud of. And he made a list. We made a list of all of the things that he's really proud of. And they were amazing things. Getting good grades. He was really proud of it. Um, being able to help somebody feel good about themselves. He's proud of it. Being able to just go skiing with his dad and, and being able to handle a black diamond lift. Um, and he was really proud of it. So the irony of it is, is it's, he feels inferior because he's not able to compete 
to the level his parents might want him to compete. But he's doing a lot of amazing things. And we don't notice some of the things that aren't competitive, especially if we're a competitive parent. So we're going to get into that today. I think as parents, we've seen all the fights that parents get on the sidelines. They're just as competitive. They want their kids to succeed, maybe even more than the kids want to succeed. So competition. Think about it out there in the listener land. Do you feel like um, competition is a powerful way to motivate? And is it a powerful way to create the relationships and the connection that we need to be making with our kids? We have an incredible expert coming on later in the show to help us deal with the culture of competition. And uh, I, I think if it works, if, moti- if, commu- if uh, competition works, I think we need to use it everywhere. That's just my point. If it works on the football field to create better teams, I guess, then what I think we need to do, we need to use it in our emergency medical services. I think our fire departments should compete and have a race. Where are you going with this? To an accident. And the first department to make it there gets the funding and their jobs paid for. And those departments that don't make it there get less money or no money. What do you think? Boom, competition. That, that, that actually could work. You're on to something. Mm-hmm. Any problems with that? Can uh, anyone well, see a downside uh, to that brilliant if theory? If you're trying to – first thing you're going to see is a <clears throat> uptick in turbocharged <laughs> – yeah, fire yeah. fire engines. Well, the, you need yeah. And the law says I think they go about fifteen over the limit. If, yeah, if it's on full out lights and sirens. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're saving lives. Yeah, we are saving. But we, uh, unless we cause accidents on the way. Well, yeah. And, okay, but so it's deadly. oh, and then but then you're the first on the scene because yeah. you cause. Well, yeah. If you cause it, you're right there. So I mean, you may be a fast driver, but careful driver, careful may, driver may not be as fast. But if he doesn't get in a wreck, he can maybe still get you have there. to make a rule that if you cause an accident, you're technically a victim and you can't respond, and so to you're, you're penalized. You well, can't yeah, respond to your own accident. So, your own so the competing fire department would automatically get the business. So that gives you an incentive yeah. to drive safely to yeah. the to the fire. See, you're catching it. Now, oh, my, my one worry is if, if we make it very capitalistic and very competitive. And I think, you, by the way, to make it capitalistic, they have to pay right there. So that fire truck right there gets the funding. So, like, let's just say they get five days of pay and they just, they just give them a bunch of pay and they just put it in the back of the fire truck. There's a, a big old safe. Yeah. Just drop it in there. That way it's immediate. The, the one thing that I worry about with that is if you take uh, news media – uh-huh. Uh, as an example, eventually the competition will create great quality, but then they'll start to figure out ways to decrease the cost. Okay. And then eventually it'll get to the point where these fire trucks only have four tires instead of 30, <laughs> or they only have a half a tank of water because normally they don't use well, okay. the full tank of well, water. See, there's an example. Paparazzi. Like paparazzi are competitive news. So all news competes against each other. But the paparazzi are out there on the front lines fighting with each other. They're not creating problems for anyone. You say that. (laughs) They're not causing accidents. See how silly that is? Competition doesn't work everywhere. There's some things we need cooperation. Well, not to mention your your fire truck, you're going to respond to the expensive stuff. So if you get two calls Uh. in, one is a drowning victim and the other is somebody who needs like – their whole family transported to the hospital. Boom, we're going you're, there. You're going to go to that one. I mean, yeah, it's hard to revive drowning victims. 
and, and See, then we're going to start making decisions. See how this works? Competition. Yeah. But apparently, yeah, this I'm, is a free I'm, market I'm, economy. I'm, I'm not liking this idea the more I think it through. <sighs> okay, whatever. I don't hear a better answer. Not, nothing personal. It's just it has some, some flaws. I think when we look at it, there's a perfect time to compete. And then there's other times we need to cooperate. And I'm having a, a feeling that in our emergency medical services, we want cooperation. Because when all of a sudden the big catastrophe hits, you want them all talking. If a big catastrophe hits and these guys are all competing against each other, they're not going to talk. And we're going to pay. So maybe that's the rule. There is a time to use competition. And it might be when we want to divide and maybe choose and see who's the most skilled in the moment in that particular setting. Then if the coaches do it all the time. Coaches have their team compete, and then before Friday, about Wednesday, Thursday, they start having them quit competing for their position. You've now got it. Let's now cooperate through Sunday, to whenever your games are. And then we have them compete again on Monday. Hmm. I'm just saying. Now, nobody likes competition more than Skyboy. I mean, if you look at him, he oozes competition. I, I'd say that 10 years ago and 20 20 years ago or 16, anywhere in that realm, I, that was a very true statement. Really? Yeah. Don't you think we should have Especially you... with my little brother. We were so unbelievably competitive. You were? Yeah. Two little redheads? No, I'm the only redhead in my family. The first superhero Weird. to the scene gets to collect the money. Boom. That's true. Wouldn't it, don't you think it'd be great if we had you every day, like leg wrestles, another person to run the board? Uh, sure. Or do you think that in the end you'd just lose every time because you don't want to really run? Well, that'd be great because if I was really hungry or tired, I'd lose on purpose. And then I could just go sleep somewhere else and, and eat food. Competition. They all they all get a party in that producer. I know booth. they do. They you like and I sit here talking and, work. and chit-chatting and watching YouTube videos. And we, we sit here and actually do the yeah, show. Totally. Sweating. Yeah. So sweating. it'd be nice to go in there sometimes, you know? It's probably cooler it's, it's in there. It's production support. <laughs> Maybe that's what we ought to do. At Stand the, by. At the end of every show, let's have a competition between the producers where we choose which producer was the most helpful and had the greatest banter on air. <laughs> okay. And then we just give an award at the end of every I show. I can see this ruining our show. Will it be food? Will it be food? <laughs> okay. It always goes back to food. Of course I'm there won't saying. be food. I'm not the produ- I'm not the I'm not the host that brings. Food. We should have a competition where the loser has to bring food the next day. Ah. Boom, <laughs> boom. Now, now, interesting. But you made a great point. Uh, you said I have a feeling this is going to change, kind of ruin the, the show, ruin the show. And, and I really do think that because I agree. totally agree. I was going to say this in my major. It's a pretty competitive major to get into, and then the field that we're studying is pretty competitive. But that doesn't mean that while we're in school, we need to be competitive with each other. Right. We should be sharing but best we, practices. But we totally, I mean, my major, it's, it's horrible. And it drives me crazy. There's this yeah. like thing in the air where everybody yeah. knows that there's a competition. And if we have uh, an opportunity to take something, we keep it on the hush-hush so Ooh. that nobody else knows about it. And it's, it drives me crazy. It sabotages. Yeah. And then it kills the cooperation. Yeah. And then and, it, and it kills friendships. And it kills friendships. Yeah. And it will kill this team. It'll kill our team. We're killing it. So... But if there's food involved, that idea's gone. I don't know. We're not doing that. I don't know. So the next time you see us in the producers' booth doing production support, Whatever. know that it's for the sake of the unity of the team. <laughs> no, let's just say, if you're in the booth doing production support, you're bringing dinner tomorrow. I. <laughs> Whoa! Another angel got dinner. I think Two that dinners. deserves three dings. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, and there's a dessert. We're getting out of control with the dings. <laughs> Competition. It, now, notice, and it's funny because we just, in this free market economy, we just say, you know, we're Americans. Everything's competitive. But you know what? There's a price we pay. And the price we pay is cooperation. We lose a little bit of the team. So we're bringing on an expert in a few minutes who's going to be helping us understand the culture of competition and the impact it's having on our children. Everything on TV is competitive. You'll see what we mean when we get to it. We're going to take a break. We're coming back with Bryce's rant. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Scientists may have discovered the bridge between carbon and silicon. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories of revolutionary ideas, emerging technologies, and the people behind the concepts that shape the future. In the world of metamaterials, carbon has gotten a lot of attention. Carbon nanotubes and single-molecule-thick graphene sheets have given us a glimpse of products with incredible strength and other useful properties. But there's still a lot of work for good old silicon to do, especially in computer chips and electronics of all kinds. A potential problem in putting carbon to work at the nano level has been that it's electronically different from silicon, which can change how much electricity it can conduct based on its chemistry and how you charge it. Carbon just conducts all the time. Now, there may be a material that bridges the gap and allows graphenes to do more of the work of silicon. It's called silicene. And recently, scientists learned how to create a mesh of this material by condensing hot silicon vapor onto a silver plate. Silicene seems to share most of the same electrical, optical, and structural properties of graphene meshes, but it could also be a semiconductor like the silicon chips we know. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. On Through the Garage Door, we're getting together to talk about music. Now, is anybody making horrible acoustic music? Oh, yeah. I mean, in, in college dorms all across the yeah, country. No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, you know, major artists. I, I don't think there's anyone that you can excoriate. Tune in to Through the Garage Door for BYU Radio's look into what's good in rock and roll. Weeknights at 11 p.m. Eastern here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're taking on this idea of competition and maybe the excessive use of competition that you are seeing in the world today. Again, life's competitive. I get it. Every day the lion has to get up and chase the gazelle. I get it. It's a great metaphor. The problem with it is not every system in our life has to have a a hint of competition, we don't have to get our children, which is how I motivate them, and it's not healthy, and I, I don't do it anymore. But, okay, first kid done gets to use my iPad, and off they go. And first kid done off. is dad's favorite. Yeah, I like that one, too. That one's first good. kid done receives all of dad's love. Okay, go! And then they fight. But, I mean, and every parent's kind of done that. First, you can use intimidation. Okay, you got one minute. You got one minute to brush your teeth and get in bed, or, or the heads or, are going to roll. Or the other one parents do, they do the one, two. Don't make me get to three. It's real. So, competition. That's what we're getting into. And we are talking about uh, the culture of competition. Our own Bryce Tobin has put together a little bit of a rant 
This is not, you're not, um, what was your other name for, not a rant when a you. Rumination. A rumination. This is not a rumination. You're not ruminating. This is a rant about, a little bit about the carrot and stick approach. Look, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but I'm about to rant. This is The Bryce is Right. I don't know if our competitiveness is getting out of hand, but it sure is useful. Now, I am a bit of an anomaly. I missed out on the stereotypical male competitive drive. I only get that competitive fire when I'm trying to do better than myself. But this has allowed me to observe what competitiveness does to other people, and I've noticed that harnessing competitive nature can be quite useful. For myself, I use it to get little kids to do chores. Now, this technique will work four out of five times. If you anticipate that a kid may be resistant to your request that they, say for example, take their dishes to the sink, you could ask them to do it, only for them to start making excuses that will eventually build up into a fight. You could tell them to do it and skip the excuse portion of the evening and jump right into the fight scene. Or you could use my third option and say, all right, it's time to take your dishes to the sink. First one done gets, and this is the part where you name some kind of prize, like they get to stay up 10 minutes later than the other kids. My take on this is to tell kids that I'll time them or tell them to see if they can get it done in some time frame like 30 seconds while I count out loud the whole time. Under the age of 10, this normally works. I'm really not giving them any tangible. You know the carrot on a stick idea? Well, these sort of imagined intangible rewards have sometimes been called false carrots, and I like that name. A guy named Nick Pelling called this the gamification process, where you take something that isn't a game and attach the idea of a reward to it, and then this suddenly engages the competitive drive. And while useful, I feel like the gamification process has gotten out of hand. The easiest example I can think of is when you're playing some silly game on your phone and it asks if you want to tweet your score or post it to Facebook. On the one hand, if you got the global high score, then I can comprehend why that would be worth tweeting about. But when it's some mediocre score on some geeky game that people don't really care about, why would I want to notify the small corner of my world? As if to say, hey, look how not good I am at this pointless thing. And from the other side, I don't think I have the words to adequately express my level of apathy when I get notified on Facebook that some clown I knew in high school who I haven't spoken to in 10 years got to level 6 on Candy Farm Texas Diamond Coaster Pet Dragon Bubble Chef Rush Poker Dash Builder Rescue City Safari Sagaville Tour but hey at the same time I don't mind being reminded that that's where he is with his life so at least I haven't hit that low point yet and I get the reason for this the people who make money off of these products want some exposure and if it gets someone to play more they end up getting more money but wow where are we as a society when we feel compelled to do something that is ultimately pointless just because we can do it better than someone else. But we didn't even need the internet to expose this problem. Do you guys remember the spelling bee? I really don't like the spelling bee. Here's why. I like games that simulate something in real life, like Tag, for example. It's a mostly harmless version of Run Away from the Predatory Bear. The better you are at Tag, the more likely you are to survive a sudden bear attack. But the spelling bee? Spelling as a skill is useful, but not necessary, and very little hinges on my ability to spell out loud. My survival rarely depends on it. But the pressure is immense. So you can start spelling out loud, that bear is still going to find you and maul you, while I run away to live my life. So there's ways to harness our competitive drives to make things happen, but all too often we get manipulated by it to do silly things. And you know what? I don't think that's a good thing. All right, I'm out. And remember, don't forget to be awesome. Bryce Tobin, first of all, you can really hold your breath. I got big lungs. And talk, because you spewed about 50 words. Okay, second of all, don't diss the spelling bee. Oh, no? I'm going to, no I matter watched what. It. This year, I actually watched it. And you're absolutely right. Those people are stress cases. But you know what? There's other things they're learning. 
Oh, what is that, Matt? They're what like, other... can you tell me, is that a Latin-based word or a German-based? Is that a, and they just keep going. Say, what's the origin? What's, what's the, the origin, origin of the, of the word? word? I mean, seriously, they're brilliant, brilliant kids. So they're um, learning something. I don't, I don't know. Cat and dog. Because I'm going to say you can learn something or you can learn something useful. Well, that's useful because they're all going to probably. Because Latin is a, is a language that is still spoken. I know. Look what it got them. Um <laughs> But in the end, there. I mean, these are kids that'll be PhD students. So here's the other. Let's thing. hope they turn it around. I was in the spelling bee. Don't tell me it didn't help. <laughs> Which I, spelling bee? I was in the the spelling bee in the eighth grade of your eighth grade class. I was yeah. representing my eighth grade the entire the entire eighth grade. Eighth, well, no, <laughs> the entire school, which went down to first graders. Oh wow. Was eighth grade the highest level? Yes. Okay. And there's only like eight or 12 of us. And I was the guy. I was representing the men, the boys. And I didn't get out in the first round because that'd be stupid. Was this like a competition with other schools? No. This was our school. Then we would then send that child to the state school B, I think. And I got out in the second round. What was the word? Yeah, what was the word? Well, we don't need to go there. Was it tongue? Because that's a weird word. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It, it was lion. Lion? Yeah, that's what I said. Lion. L-Y-I-N-G. She said lion. And I'm like, I didn't even know to ask about the origin. <laughs> so I just said, can Did you, you use that in a sentence? Yeah. And she says, the lion roared in the jungle. And I'm like, oh, lion, L-O-I-N. <laughs> and she said, no, that's loin. <laughs> Loin. And by the way, it was a little Christian school, and all the little Christian kids know what your loins are. So I became loin boy. Well, I can't win them all, Matt. No. Can I? So I totally agree. I can't stand the spelling bee. There we go. It ruined me. Brought you around. I'm going to call you loin boy from now on. Thank you. Yeah. Try it. See how that goes. (laughs) Loin boy, they called me. In fact, I had to to take the little kids out. I had to, like, work them out and just say, don't call me loin boy, or loin boy will come down on you in a way you've never... See. Skyboy and Loin Boy. <laughs> Superheroes, <laughs> changing the world. We're talking competition, the culture of competition. Is the best way to educate a bunch of kids uh, in a competitive spelling bee environment? Is that the best way to do it? Or is the best way to determine beauty by lining up a bunch of kids in a in a silly little competition to see who's more beautiful? Come on. No. Instead? MMA, mixed martial arts. That's the key. <laughs> no, it's not. Too much competition. Is it? Is it impacting our lives? This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back with some answers right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. There is so much going on in the world that sometimes it's good just to sit back, relax, and think about life. Relevance is something we make or discover or invent. Relevance is probably completely up to us. The people of the past are dead and gone, but to call them irrelevant is our decision, and probably a very poor one. Thinking Aloud, weeknights at 8.30 Eastern, only on BYU Radio. This is Sam McCall for BYU Radio News. The city of Detroit is filing for bankruptcy, making it the largest municipality in the nation to ever do so. Detroit is facing a staggering debt of over $18 billion, leading Michigan Governor Rick Snyder to say bankruptcy is the only reasonable alternative remaining. 
A bipartisan coalition in the Senate reached a deal with President Obama today to bring the student loan interest rate back down before students head back to classes this fall. The new plan will tie the interest rate to market conditions. A man who was extorted by notorious mobster Whitey Bulger and was prepared to testify against him has been found dead in what police say is an apparent suicide. The would-be witness had learned the day before he's been dropped from the witness list. New anti-abortion restrictions were signed into law in Texas today by Governor Rick Perry, who called a special session of the state legislature to get the measure passed. Abortions are now banned after pregnancy reaches 20 weeks. In world news, a Reuters source says peace talks to end the Syrian conflict, which is now entering its third year, may not happen until 2014, if at all. Another source is also warning British leaders have likely abandoned their plans to arm Syrian rebels. A United Nations Security Council probe is going to investigate the weapons shipped from Cuba found on board a North Korean ship by authorities in Panama. Cuban leaders say the missile equipment and old MiG fighters discovered are obsolete. Two major Canadian rail companies are reviewing their safety standards following the tragic crash and explosion of several oil tanker cars which killed over 50 and destroyed the center of a small town in Quebec earlier this month. That's the news to half past the hour. For BYU Radio, I'm Sam McCall. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we are talking about competition. It is a very natural part of our lives. Um, Do you think we're creating a culture that's just too competitive? Is there a time, is there a place in our lives, and especially in our children's lives, when we probably need to just set aside the concept of competition and, I don't know, maybe replace it with something else? Is there something other than to just create really highly competitive kids? And are there any downsides to pushing competition so much on our airwaves, in our media, in everything we do? Are we just becoming too competitive? So we've asked an expert, and you really probably cannot get more of an expert than the one we're about to bring on. Her name is Dr. Hillary Levy Friedman, and Dr. Friedman has pretty much done it all, and more importantly... She studies some of the interesting things that are going on in our culture today. For example, she studies about how the, how the American family is impacted by beauty pageants and childhood competitions and competitive sports and credentialism, all this need for credentials and dance competitions and reality television and scholastic chess and maybe spelling bees, if we can get her to do it. Dr. Friedman obtained her undergraduate degree at Harvard University, um, where she discovered she fell in love with sociology. She graduated magna cum laude with the highest honors in 2002. She then got a master's of philosophy from the Faculty of Social and Political Sciences at Cambridge University. She then got a PhD from Princeton University, where, by the way, she, um, in 2009, uh, earned um, the award as the Spencer Dissertation Fellow and as the Harold W. Dodd Fellow. And recently she's been working at Harvard on a postdoctoral fellowship quantitatively studying youth sports injuries and supported by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Her first book, Playing to Win, Raising Children in a Competitive Culture, is forthcoming in 2013. Dr. Friedman, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks so much for having me. You make me sound. You make me feel better about myself. Well, I know Thank it's because I, the whole time I'm reading that I'm like, that is a lot of competition you've been in. <laughs> it's true. I've been through a lot of 
what I guess you could call credentials bottlenecks. Yep. Um, where I like to say that, you know, I sort of got lucky, but I also worked very hard. And oh, I yeah. think that's the lesson that needs to go out to a lot of kids these days. Well, and you also, I mean, in a weird way, your research, I think, means more coming from someone who's been through all of that. I mean, because you, you probably also saw the benefits of working hard to get through all of those kind of accolades, but also you may have seen just some people that were not healthy in trying to do that. That's right. And I think what's been really interesting for me is I ended up at Harvard as an 18-year-old. I'd never even been to Harvard um, before I applied. And I didn't grow up like a lot of the kids that I studied. So that's sort of been a motivating, motivating question in my work, which is how do people end up where they end up when you think you have to follow one particular path. And the truth is you don't have to follow one particular path, but that's the message that we get a lot from the media. We totally do. And and it, and it seems like, too, and from our parents. I mean, I, I guess even our parents buy into some of these, these cultures as well. So g- introduce us. Teach us how you got into this idea and, and what's going on. Are, are we in a more competitive culture, do you sense, in all your experience, than maybe the kids 50 years ago? Well, we we can say that for sure American kids are experiencing competition in a much more organized way than ever before, and they're experiencing it on a more national scale. You know, you might not just be the best chess player in Utah. You're going to compare yourself to all the best chess players your age in the United States. And so the, the technological changes have really impacted that as well. But it's, you know, it is a human instinct, as you mentioned before, to be competitive, and American society in particular has always had a tendency to be competitive for a variety of reasons. But what we see now, again, is this organization and the intervention of adults in a lot of children's lives. So yeah. 50 years ago, kids would be competitive on the sandlot, but now we have the adults refereeing the games yep. and keeping records and that sort of thing. Well, and now we're sending our kids. It's one thing to just put them in the league. It's another thing to then put them in the advanced super league. Because not only your, – your kid's not just – he doesn't deserve to just be in the, you know, the local community league. That boy is super. So we now have to put him in the super league. And if he's going to be in these super leagues, then he probably ought to go to these other sports clinics where they teach him to be faster. We're investing money in training. I mean we're putting a lot of money into this. That's exactly right. And – you know, it's not just to be faster. You're going to get a pitching coach. Yeah. Um, a psychologist. A hitting co- exactly. And yeah. I mean, this does a variety of things, but one of the major implications that it, that it has for society is that the kids who are really able to get those advantages are those who can pay to do it. Right. And so, you know, it, that's great, and it's very fortunate if those children, they're very fortunate if their parents can do that for them. But what does it mean long-term for inequality in American society in general if not everyone has access to those same resources? Oh, that's so true. And I guess, too, having all the resources doesn't always even mean you're going to just be better at the competition. <laughs> I mean, that, that's completely right. I mean, especially if you're thinking in terms of sports in particular, yeah. like boys, let's say, you know, they mature physically at very different rates. So right. the boy that might be the superstar at nine is not going to be the superstar at 13 or yep. at 16. And, you know, one thing that parents often forget is you want your child to have passion. You don't want them to just be motivated by the parent's interest or getting the big trophy or making the team. You want them to really love what they're doing. And I think that's one of the biggest struggles today is is really finding ways to intrinsically motivate our kids, find out what they really love, and make sure they're not just extrinsically motivated by whatever that shiny golden carrot might be. Oh, I love that. And 
I mean, I, I was a kid that I played every sport kind of growing up, and not to brag, but I was pretty good. <laughs> but the, but in reality, I hated competition. Mm. So the minute like that raw head-to-head competition started coming out in the sport, it was a major turnoff. So I, I was literally I had an aversion to I liked I loved the game I loved to play. And I even, I mean, I like competition to agree, but the minute I started seeing dads going crazy and kids crying after striking out every time, I started thinking, what's going on? These well, people yeah, well, are Well, that messed. is particularly extreme. I mean, and actually in Utah a few months ago, a soccer referee actually yeah. died no, totally. after a game. So that's, ex- that's extreme, right. and we don't want to see that kind of behavior. And in fact, that's, you, that was a very good self-protective instinct on your part. As Get out of there. Not like that. But on the other hand, I do think it's important for kids to have some exposure to healthy competition when they're young because we want to raise resilient kids. Right. We want them to say, oh, I lost, but I can come back and do better next time. Mm-hmm. And so there are some positives that you can get from the competitive experience and that, you know, if you have a child who really just doesn't like competition at all, you want to, you know, push them in some positive ways to say, okay, well, I'll have to deal with this at some point in my life to get a job. Or right get into school. And so, you know, we, we don't want to be extreme. We live in a nation of extremes. So what we need to all try to do as parents is use common sense and find the middle ground. Is there is there a better starting time or age than others, or is it just based on where our child is? So a lot of this, unfortunately, at this point, is determined by the way college admissions works in this country. And it used to just matter what you did in high school, but now in order to make the high school team, you have to do it in middle school. Right. Now in order to make the middle school team, you have to do it in elementary school. So it's hard to say if there's one right age. It's, you know, people are very concerned about their children's long-term prospects, and so they want to start earlier than ever. What I think is the best philosophy, both from my own work and things that I've witnessed, is to say, well, let me expose my child to lots of things when they're young and find out what they are really passionate about. Mm. And then as they get older, we understand, well, we have to specialize and find something that they do sort of stand out from the crowd in. But the only way to do that is to allow them to find out what they really enjoy doing. And if you start too young and just push them in one direction, you're closing off a lot of potential opportunities. Totally. Uh, It's such such great advice. Talk about, for a minute, um, the culture. you, You call it the competition culture. What's driving that? What is driving this kind of game? I mean, I'm assuming money's got to be behind it. People are making money on competition now. That's true. That's true. Like I said, if you're going to get a specialized pitching coach and a batting coach and all of those things, there are people who now make their living off of kids being competitive. And so there's a vested interest there in saying, oh, you know, this is important for your child. And so you need to decide as a parent, is that really true? Hmm. Um, So there is a whole world, regardless if it's sports or dance, anything with the arts or scholastics, even spelling bees. There are coaches, you know, private coaches for spelling bees as well. I needed one. (laughs) So there's that. There's also changes in the American family. So a lot of families are having fewer kids. True, huh? So So we have a little more time to focus. Exactly. And, And there's more attention put on a fewer number of kids. Yeah. And, and, and more hopes and dreams of parents put on a fewer number of children. <laughs> yeah, smaller so odds that they'll go pro. Exactly. Well, yeah, <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, those odds are always very I know they are, so. not Not just to go pro, but even to get into college or right. get a college. No, college totally. People don't understand that. I so, know. Um, 
There's that. And then just in general, in American society, we have seen an increase in competition. We don't just have the Academy Awards anymore, or the Emmys, you know, the nominations right. came out today. We have the SAG Awards. You know, we yeah. have all these other Golden things. Golden Globes, for... yep. Exactly, exactly. And so we can quantitatively show that, you know, poetry competitions have increased, um, awards for books, awards for music, all these sorts of things. Oh, yeah. So it's something that we see across the board. And on TV, I mean, it used to be you watched Andy Griffith. And you would watch these, you would just watch a sitcom and a show. But so many of the, you know, the reality television, they're really competitions. Right. There's a whole genre, competitive reality TV. And in the past year or so, something I find particularly disturbing is there's a rise in competitive children's reality competition. Um, Even for really, really young kids, there was a show called Bet on Your Baby (laughs) that the parents would be able to bet on whether their child would perform well or not. When I say child, I mean toddlers. Oh, my living. Um, And, you know, that's going to be on TV. That's going to live on in YouTube forever (laughs) when that child gets married someday. Dad, did you actually bet against me? You actually bet against me, Dad. Yeah, that's going to create some problems. Exactly. Um, So we see that rise just, I mean, there there was this show many years ago, right after American Idol got big, called American Juniors. Um, It didn't last very long, but did produce some stars, actually. But now we're seeing that much, much more. So the X Factor, young kids can do it. They're doing a voice version for young kids that's already started in some other countries, but that's coming to the U.S. Yeah. Um, and so we can we see that happening, and those sorts of implications and putting children who aren't fully developed or have identities on national TV, that's a bit worrisome to me. Well, and it, it, oh, it's amazing. Everything, I mean, even now you can have, they had, I saw a show, I can't remember, it was basically the 20 worst, um, the 20 worst, what was it called? The uh, um, felons, like the 20 worst criminals in history. And, oh, hey, son, you made the top 20 list of worst criminals. Everything even is, we want to be in the top something of it. Is there anything that isn't competitive? Is there anything that just can't be competitive? Well, I think, you know, we can think in terms of competition, but we should also think of it in terms of rankings. And when we think of it that way, it's a number. Mm. And because we live in a world of big data now, Right. It's very easy to put a number on things. So I'm, I'm a mom. I have a young son. Um, you know, the second he came into the world, they give you an APGAR score. Oh, right. And at every pediatrician's checkup, You're checking you the APGAR get score. weight and height, and they give you your percentile. Yeah. So it's, it's a way that you're able to compare to other people so much more easily now yeah. um, in a way that wasn't possible before. And so... You know, not every ranking has to be competitive, but obviously you're comparing yourself to others right. when you're ranked. And so that's happening much more. Don't you think we should have to wear our rankings for the rest of our lives on a shirt? Well, some people, you know, they're always going to identify themselves by their SAT scores. That's right. That's right. Or their degrees um, or their school. Yeah. Right. And a lot of the um, chess kids that I studied in scholastic chess, well, in any kind of chess, when you play in a tournament, you get a rating. And a lot of the kids who I write about in my book, Playing to Win, they would say, what's your number? Well, I'm, you know, 768. Oh, you're 764. (laughs) You know, they're very much focused on what's bigger, what's better. That's that's amazing. We're talking with Dr. Uh, Hillary Levy Friedman, a wonderful, true expert. I mean, it's, it's rare that you get somebody that has studied this profoundly. 
a subject. So we're honored to have her on the show. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back and take a deeper dive into this idea of our kids and a culture of competition. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to BYU Radio. With the Parent Previews Movie Guide, I'm Rod Gustafson. In the R-rated movie Spring Breakers, four college girls, three of which are played by former child stars Vanessa Hudgens, Selena Gomez, and Ashley Benson, decide they want to get out of their New England town and head to Florida for spring break. A quick, violent robbery later, the group is in the car headed for the Sunshine State. But after a few days of naked revelry on the beach and at a massive house party, the girls find themselves in jail and accept an offer of bail from a man who looks anything but trustworthy. Who are you? My name's Alien. Alien? That's what they call me. Why are you here? I saw y'all in there. You like nice people. Thought maybe I'd bail you out. Why? Come on, y'all. Why act suspicious? Get in. Where are we going? Go wherever you all want. When this R-rated movie played in theaters, it was difficult for teens to see. That's no longer the case now that it's on home video. Parents, beware that these girls may be your 13-year-old's idols, but this is not high school musical. Spring Breakers is chock full of nudity, sexual situations, alcohol and drug use, and illegal behavior, all depicted in enticing ways. One character, who is depicted as Christian, does leave the pack partway through, but this is the only positive morsel within a movie full of objectionable content. Helping parents make confident cinema choices, this is the Parent Previews Movie Guide. Eric Dottle is a professional artist who travels the world painting pictures. It is a place I enjoyed, and I've been there several times and love it. Then he comes back and shares travel tips, trivia, and history about the places he's visited. You mentioned the base seasoning. They, that is a big deal. It's the only place you can get it, and they put it on everything. Tune in to BYU Radio on weeknights at 9 Eastern for Traveling with Eric Dottle. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We are talking about the culture of competition, and we have a wonderful expert who has a book coming out, Playing to Win, Raising Children in a Competitive Culture. It should be out uh, later in 2013. Her name is Dr. Hillary Levy Friedman. She's basically studied at every Ivy League school in the history of the world. And um, Harvard bachelor's, master's degree from Cambridge University, a doctorate from Princeton, has done postdoctoral fellowship at Harvard. She's won every award. But more importantly, she really, I think, gets what's going on in our life with our children. She's a mom herself. Dr. Hillary Levy Friedman, welcome back to the program. Thank you. It really is. It's fun to talk to you, especially because once you know somebody's really studied deeply something, let alone lived it and lived, you know, the competitive side of it, but then kind of seen the the lessons of it. There's a lot of stuff our kids can learn from competition, right? It's not all bad. That's right. I mean, we want to raise kids who are resilient. This is one of the things we talk about a lot in our society today. And one of the ways you learn resiliency is by learning what it feels like to lose and then come back and get out there and try again. So that's one thing that's a big thing that you can get out of this. You know, when I applied to those schools, you know, I I didn't get into other schools, let's say. And so 
you have to say, oh, well, that's okay. This other opportunity worked out or I'm going to try again. Um, So that's one thing. Another thing you learn is how to perform under pressure. Um, And that's something that we deal with a lot in our society today. I mean, most well, pretty much all children take standardized tests in school, in right. grade school, middle school, high school, and then you take most likely the SATs or ACTs to get into college. And and there's some children who just freeze, you know, knowing I only have 30 minutes to get this done or I only have five more minutes. And so even playing in a soccer game where there's time limits, it doesn't just have to be chess or a spelling bee or something cerebral, um, but being able to say, oh, I know that I can do it. I did it in baseball. I did it in soccer. I did it in football. Mm-hmm. Whatever the case may be, that can be a positive thing to come out of it as well. That so ability to just, dig down, huh? To dig deep inside of ourselves and stick with it. That's exactly right. In fact, one of the parents I met that I quote in the book calls it stick to itiveness, mm-hmm. which I love. Um, it really, to dig down, that's very important to be able to do. So it's not just that you're developing the skill to be able to hit a ball or do a triple pirouette. It's that you're developing these skills that long-term are going to help you be a successful adult and a member of society. And we, we, it's, it's, it's enculturation. We, that, I mean, I love watching, it's amazing. And I don't know if this is everywhere, but we'll go to my son's football practices and parents will be there just watching practice. And most of them, it's not like just the competitive dads that played football that are doing it. it's, it's moms, it's the kid, it's everyone is there because you're. It's almost this sense of teamwork. You're you're on a team, and so having your kids learn how to compete and cooperate in this tension-filled world and be a team member is huge. Right, and I think that's a really positive thing. What you mentioned that moms get involved with boys and dads get involved with their daughters. Right. And it used to be, you know, dads tended to be more involved with their sons. But with the opportunity for girls to play sports now as well, particularly since the development of Title IX, this has been a huge change that girls can be competitive and and have similar opportunities. Right. And so I saw that a lot in my work. Now, that doesn't mean it's totally equal. Mom's usually still in charge of washing the uniforms and doing the snacks and all of that, and dad sort of gets the glory for being the coach. But at the same time, it's a good way to connect um, across the generations and across sexes. Well, and then when they are at the Super Bowl... And the camera zooms in on the football player. He never says, hi, Dad. It's always, hi, Mom. It's always, yeah. Mom. We all know. We know she drove the carpool. She right, got in there. The Michael Phelps mom, yeah. the iconic images from Isn't that the Olympics totally. and all that. Well, I have a son, and I have another one on the way. So I'm hoping someday it is true that they'll say, they'll say Mom. Mom. <laughs> they will. I mean, it's a, it, it, it really is a special thing, though, that uh, this is life. We're not going to get away from competition. No. And if you're going to learn how to deal with it, it, it is important, I think, that we're, lear- we're teaching it in our families. You know, we're yeah, teaching how it, to deal with it. That's right. And being able to do it in a healthy and safe environment. Yeah. You know, as kids get older, the stakes do get higher. When you get into high school, it does matter much more how you do on that test or how you play in that sports game. Someone might be there recruiting you. And so the more you can be exposed to it when you're younger, know you can handle it, when you fail, which you inevitably will, have your family there to support you and your friends and your teammates, and that will prepare you for these greater challenges later in life. That's powerful. What should we watch out for? What are some things, some of the negatives that some of the children might be picking up from competition that maybe aren't even on the radar of us as parents? 
Well, first of all, you don't want your child to think that their whole identity is wrapped up in one particular activity. And sometimes, just for example, um, I studied the chess kids and the soccer kids and the dance kids, and it was only the chess kids who ever said, you know, if I'm not good at this, that means I'm not smart. And yeah. most kids have, you know, they think, oh, that's okay if I, you know, I'm not the fastest kid on the soccer field or I'm not the most flexible in dance class, and that doesn't sort of stick with you in the same way that it might stick with you to think my brain isn't good enough. Right. So I think in certain activities we need to be more aware of that. Um, and even though sports is so venerated in our culture, mm-hmm. we also still value the mind and value people who are smart. And, you know, kids want to do well in those sorts of things. And so that's one thing to be careful of, that, and you could think about that in the geography bees and the spelling bees and math competitions as well. It's not um, the so, core to who you are. Right, and to be well-rounded. You know, we don't want to just be one type of person who does one thing. We mm-hmm. want to be complete human beings. Beautiful. What? Uh, any other negatives? I mean, it seems like an obvious one is just it pits you against other people. Right, and, but it's interesting because I interviewed 37 kids Um, for playing to win. And the very first interview I did with a child, I had done probably close to 40 interviews with parents as well. And I would always ask, you know, why did you get your child involved and what do you think they like the most? But when I interviewed the very first chess girl, when I said, what's your favorite thing about playing chess? She said that I get to meet friends from other Hmm. schools. And no parent had ever said anything close to that. That's powerful. (laughs) And I found that, I mean, I loved that. And so... What I found in all my conversations with the kids is that they actually weren't that competitive with each other. Now, all of them at this age were in elementary school, right. and of course that does change as you get older, but they said, oh, it's so great, I'm not just with the kids I go to school with, um, I'm around kids who have the same interests as I do, and so the kids really saw this as a social thing, <laughs> They're which balanced. was maybe not always what their parents wanted, you know, they yeah. wanted them to develop the killer instinct Yeah, sometimes. rip him up! Kill yeah. them. Yeah. <laughs> isn't that interesting? It really out of the mouth of babes, isn't it? These, yeah. yeah. Just these simple, they, they kind of get the real, the real spirit of it. That's right. That's right. And, th- and then there's, this, there's some, and it maybe is just a reflection of what they think their parents want. I saw a boy the other day when he struck out, just walk into the dugout. He was 10, throw his bat, throw his helmet on the ground and just start crying. And I thought, oh, that's a lot of pressure. It is. And I think sometimes well, we don't see the major leaguers cry. Yeah. But we do not always see the best behavior um, in our professionals either. Right. And so it is something to think about as well, you know, being a good sport in a lot of um, games. It's very important. You think about after chess, you shake hands before and after each match. Mm. And a lot of sports games and soccer, I always saw you would, you know, the teams lined up. Yeah, line up. Right, did, you know, slap hands after the game and those sorts of things. And so that's important, I think, for all of the adults who are involved at whatever level with a lot of these activities to emphasize that and, you know, teach kids this is the right way to behave and you don't want to be a poor sport. We are talking with Dr. Hillary Levy-Friedman, and uh, she is the author of an upcoming book, Playing to Win, Raising Children in a Competitive Culture. We're going to take a break, come back. When we come back, we're going to ask her, you know, how, how competition could affect the parent-child relationship. We're also going to get into some practical tips for us as parents, things we should be doing with our children that are involved in competition. And also uh, make sure you go check out her website, HillaryLevyFriedman.com. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break. We'll be back 
right here on BYU Radio. KBYU FM, HD2 Provo. On the Wheatley Forum, we bring you educated voices who encourage practical solutions to real societal issues. It's about those relationships, those sharing of experiences, knowledge, right? Whether it's universities or states or think tanks. Tune in to the Wheatley Forum Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern here on BYU Radio. Talk about good. This is Sam McCall for BYU Radio News. The city of Detroit is filing for bankruptcy, making it the largest municipality in the nation to ever do so. Detroit is facing a staggering debt of over $18 billion, leading Michigan Governor Rick Snyder to say bankruptcy is the only reasonable alternative remaining. A bipartisan coalition in the Senate reached a deal with President Obama today to bring the student loan interest rate back down before students head back to classes this fall. The new plan will tie the interest rate to market conditions. A man who was extorted by notorious mobster Whitey Bulger and was prepared to testify against him has been found dead in what police say is an apparent suicide. The would-be witness had learned the day before he had been dropped from the witness list. Wildfires in Southern California forced over 6,000 people to evacuate today when winds swiftly changed the direction of a large blaze. The fire has now claimed almost 20,000 acres and is threatening at least 2,000 homes. In world news, fighting in Syria is likely to continue for some time, according to a Reuters source who says peace talks will not begin until 2014 at the earliest, if at all. Meanwhile, British officials now seem likely to drop previous plans to help arm the Syrian rebels. A United Nations Security Council probe is going to investigate the weapons shipped from Cuba found on board a North Korean ship by authorities in Panama. Cuban leaders say the missile equipment and MiG fighters discovered are obsolete. Following the explosion of several rail cars carrying crude oil in the center of a small Quebec town, which took the lives of at least 50 people, two of Canada's top rail companies are now reviewing their own safety procedures. That's the news to the top of the hour. For BYU Radio, I'm Sam McCall. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend. We are discussing the competition culture. Is your child deeply uh, embedded in this competitive world? Are they an eight-year-old that uh, is doing push-ups every morning in order to go pro in football? Mine are. And uh, none of my kids compete in the spelling bee because I couldn't spell loin or lion and i spelled it loin so they're ruined what are you laughing at sky boy don't loin boy that's what i'm laughing see at. <laughs> now you're gonna start a competition here you're, gonna, you're engaging my competitive spirit and i'm gonna have to crush you I'm whatever sorry. loin boy i'm sorry you're loin boy i don't think it can get lower than that <laughs> <laughs> i think i already win okay thanks yep go away uh, so today we're talking competition, and Skyboy and I, we just did a little role play there to show you an inappropriate way to use uh, teasing and competition. So thank you, Skyboy. Now let's go to our expert, uh, Dr. Hillary Levy-Friedman. 
who is has been studying this for years. She's basically um, she finished a completed a postdoctoral fellowship at Harvard University, quantitatively studying youth sports injuries, and it was supported by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. She's also written a book, "Playing to Win: Raising Children in a Competitive Culture." It'll be out later in 2013. She's currently working on another book about beauty pageants and American society. Dr. Friedman, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks so much. Again, so appreciate you. And uh, Skyboy, my my board operator here, he likes to be called Skyboy, but he um, he is a super. He wants to compete in pageants, but they don't have any for anyone his age or you know his qualifications. Well, that's not quite right. There's actually surprisingly a pageant for just about every social category you can imagine. Are there real? Um, okay, is there one? For um, people that dress up like superheroes in um, onesies? Probably if you went to some sort of comic book convention, you could find something that, yeah, that makes could sense. approximate yeah, that. Yeah, okay. Um, but, you know, Justin Timberlake got his start in child beauty pageants, actually. Did he really? When he was a kid, yeah. See, he and, turned out uh, okay. He turned out okay, and there uh, can be some positive differences. There was just a great documentary on HBO that I really recommend called Miss You Can Do It, hmm. which is about a pageant for girls with disabilities, physical disabilities like cerebral palsy or Down syndrome, and it was really beautiful to watch that this was their chance to feel special and beautiful and different in a positive way. There's, so, a, so there's the positive way, because we think that these pageants, when we think of kind of the honey boo-boo Pageant. Or Utah, USA, yeah. who just did her flub. Yeah. yeah, like that. I mean, we kind of think of that as not so good, not right. so healthy. But but right. there are healthy pageants. I mean, and these are really, a lot of these are for scholarships. And, and I'm assuming if you're fighting for your you know education, it's it might even be a different feeling. Right. I think there's a lot more nuance in the pageant world than you would know from just watching on TV. So... Just for instance, the Miss USA system, where Utah made her now infamous mm-hmm. quite different from the Miss America program, which, of course, is still a beauty pageant, but awards more scholarship money to women than any other organization in the world. Oh, wow. Okay. And um, obviously, there is still the swimsuit competition, and that's how the Miss America pageant started. But yeah. um, I've judged a few and some women who would not have what you would call the best physique, but they come in because they've lost 50 pounds. Yeah. And it's encouraged them to be healthier. And so they might not win, but that can, the, you know, competitive drive and being on stage in front of people in your bikini, I'm pretty sure gives you good motivation not to <laughs> get um, the supersized yeah. meal. No, it does. I've, not that I've been on a stage, but um, tell me about the, because you always hear about the stage moms and you hear about these moms that are out there and you see them on some of these shows pushing yeah. their daughter, come on, dig deep. You can do it. Um, what what does competition do w- between the parent-child relationship? Well, it can be very problematic, especially if a child feels like they have to do one thing in particular yeah. to make their parent happy. And in some cases, you know, everyone says, are these parents living through their children? And on some level, I say, isn't every parent living sure. through their child? We oh, yeah. all want what's best for our children. And in some families I've met, Parents want their children to do a particular thing because they themselves never had the opportunity. But in other cases, they want them to do that because they did it. The parents themselves did it, and they're happy with how their life turned out. Yeah, it's it. Look, look at me. It turned out great. Right, and so it's not always like unfulfilled dreams. But I do think when it is unfulfilled dreams, that 
that has the potential to be more problematic and you're sort of pushing that on your child rather than letting them do it on their own. And I think one of the most important practical tips I can give to parents, and I hope that I'll live this myself, this is my plan, but, you know, you do investigation into who the coach or teacher might be at the beginning, but then you sort of need to back off and say, this is their job and, and they know what's best and I know what's best for my child and I can handle the emotional stuff, but whether it's figure skating or dance or basketball or whatever it might be, you have to trust that you've selected the right person to guide your child. I that And that is a big deal. Yes. Because you really, yes. and they look to you, and I mean, and then when they strike out and bomb, and it was in the ninth inning and two outs, and they could have scored the winning run, and they don't, the coach is there, and then eventually you drive them home. Exactly. It's a big deal. And you don't want to be talking about, well, you were standing the wrong way when yeah. you struck out. That's the coach's job. Your job is to say, well, there's next time, or wasn't just you who lost the game. It was a team effort, or yeah. whatever the case may be. And you shouldn't be throwing everyone else's kid. It was Jimmy. Jimmy right. blew the game. It wasn't. It, right. You can. Parents are really. Um, it, it's it's a hard thing because we're not trained. Right. Not, that's right. No one's trained as a parent, so you get emotionally involved. But in this role, we, you're saying, let's let the coaches coach and the parents just, I guess, love the kid. Right. And, and we don't want to look to what we see on TV as a role model because right. a lot of that is construed yeah. and created purposely for drama and ratings. And so we, we want to think about healthier models for ourselves <laughs> than that. I totally agree. What, what are some more tips? What are some more things we as parents should remember when it comes to our kids and how much competition is too much? And how, what are some signs we might be seeing that are saying maybe we need to back off certain things? Well, first of all, if your child's having a physical reaction to a competition or going to practice, if they're saying they always have a stomach ache or something like that, that's a definite red flag. Um, of course, every child I met liked to doing the competition more than the practice. And yeah. so some resistance to practice is normal. But if it's all the time, um, that's a problem. Um, so that's one major thing yeah. to think about. Um, another is just to think about, um, I like to say childhood is a buffet, and what we present to our buff- what we present to our children on that buffet might change based on who we are or li- where we live in the country. So you might have grits or you might have free-range eggs, mm-hmm. um, but you want to present a range of options to your child and then let them go back and say, oh, I really liked that bacon, <laughs> you know, yeah. and whatever the bacon might represent, and <laughs> right. that's what they want to pursue. But it's important to think of it that way and let your child have his or her voice heard as well. Because they'll naturally be attracted to certain things. And, and, and there are, I mean, I've seen, there's, I have a son that's real into YouTube, and, you know, in my generation, that was a waste. You're just wasting time. That's, there's nothing there. But the, he he's in contact, and he's actually making money selling wow. music on YouTube and making movies, and I've never seen him more creatively energized. It's the most exciting thing I've seen in my children because he's doing it himself. He's We don't even know how to lead him, in it, right. but he's found this passion, and now all of a sudden, but it's not this typical mainstream passion. Right. So you just then, embrace it. And we used to think that about video games. Yeah. Now there's video game competitive circuits, and people make lots of money developing video games. So there are various outlets that are possible um, that you can help your child pursue. 
Are there, um, I, I guess, so if I'm seeing kind of a physical response from them, I, I have a child that doesn't, know, he loves football. And if I'm a betting man, he really loves the social side of it. Mm-hmm. The team, the camaraderie, the being with his friends. I don't get a feeling that he loves putting a hit on someone. Mm-hmm. I do get a feeling he loves jumping on that person once they've had a hit on them. And so I'm wondering, okay, do I, because it costs, you know, four or $500 to get these kids in the league. If I sense that he's not, how do you know when we should push and when we just should kind of pull the plug? Well, I mean, kids are fickle, and what they say one day might not be true the next day. But first of all, if if you're hearing it all the time, again, that's a red flag. And second of all, though, we do want to teach our kids to fulfill obligations. So if they've made a commitment to a team for a semester or a year, you want to think about honoring that and and explaining to them what that means. Um, But after that, it's a good opportunity to say, is this really what you want to do? Are there other things you're interested in? I think just having those conversations. Other options, yeah. Right, right, exactly. Presenting other options, that's important as well. Or you could say, oh, in flag football, there's no tackling or whatever it might be. It's uh, Last year, we had one of our sons who was playing football and was tackled and broke his arm. And had the paramedics and fire trucks and the oh, ambulance goodness. and the police. It was the biggest scene you've ever seen. And my wife running across the field. And um, now, you won't believe this, but Hillary, he doesn't want to play this year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and But there, but then there's this little 12-year-old, not 12, probably 10-year-old boy, 11-year-old boy, who feels socially kind of shamed because he didn't, he's not playing this year, and he actually felt socially shamed because he le- he felt like he was lead- letting his team down because he's a- he's afraid to go back with a broken arm. Right. What do we do? Well, that's common, and it is common to have those social ramifications as well. Because yeah. um, you're the not peer you, you're at practice, you're sitting on the bench, but you're not joining in the inside jokes on the field and that sort of thing. Yeah. But you know, again, in that case, if your child has another interest. Um, something else that has sparked something yeah, which he inside does. of them. And, that's and where I we think went. what's also important, and this might be my last big point for everyone, is, well, what happens on the field when you're eight, it's not really going to matter <laughs> for what your life is like when you're 38. Right. You know, but it's those skills and how you react to the situation that will matter. You know, it doesn't matter if you won that game or you scored or the team won by 10 or whatever, or lost by 20. It's how you deal with it. And so it's really important to remember that Harvard and none of these other schools are going to care (laughs) what happened when you were eight. How how did you play football when you were eight? Yeah, no one's going to remember. But it's developing those long-term skills that's really important. And the character strength, huh? Exactly. To know your character has been growing, your character has been strengthened. Tell me about this upcoming book, and when's it going to be out? The book is Playing to Win, Raising Children in a Competitive Culture. When's it due out? It will be shipping on September 1st, so just in time for back-to-school activities. Excellent. But you can pre-order it now on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, all sorts of places. Sweet. And it's all about what we've been getting into today? Is that the... It's focused on 95 families with elementary school-age kids who play either chess, soccer, or dance. Really? So it's interviews with the kids and their parents, the history of the activities, 
all of those things and recommendations for parents at the end. Awesome. Good stuff. Well, again, we so appreciate you, Dr. Hillary Levy-Friedman, and they can find your website. Your website is actually very helpful as well. So they, they just go to Hillary Levy, L-E-V-E-Y, Friedman, F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N.com. Is that right? That's correct. Dr. Hillary Levy Friedman, thank you so much, and good luck with that upcoming book. Thank you, and good luck to your sons and their football. Appreciate it. We need it. Oh, we need it. And some insurance. Appreciate it. And again, I hope you've learned this is this is a big deal. Competition's not going, it's not going away. It also, we don't need to fear it. It's it's very beneficial. There's a lot of powerful things we can get from it. There's also some downsides if we're not watching it carefully. More importantly, I think our kids just need to know we're there, that we love them. They're not the sport they're playing. And as uh, Dr. Friedman taught us, it's not probably going to matter when they're 30. We're not going to bring up their sports uh, accomplishments by the time they're 30. We are going to worry about their character, their integrity, their hard work, their leadership skills, some of those character strengths. So we're going to take a break. We'll come back, wrap up the show as we talk about competition. We're also going to get into the wonderful Internet Asks Matt. Matt answers questions from the Internet coming up next on the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. If you can see something on your computer, why shouldn't you be able to feel it? This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories of revolutionary ideas, emerging technologies, and the people behind the concepts that shape the future. The graphics and sound capabilities on today's computers are nothing short of amazing. With some video games and virtual world simulation, you almost feel like you're there. Almost. Now, with support from the National Science Foundation, researchers and students at the University of Pennsylvania are working on bringing a realistic sense of touch to virtual simulation. Katherine Kuchenbecker, an assistant professor of mechanical engineering and applied mechanics at the university, says the projects in her lab are all about capturing how an object feels and realistically recreating those sensations so that you can feel a virtual version of the object through a computer and other devices. The process is called haptography, or haptic photography, and it has a wide range of applications. Imagine if you could touch fabric samples on an online shopping site to get a good realistic sense of their texture, you can make sure to get exactly the pair of corduroys you want. The real driver is medical simulation and training. Surgeons can learn exactly how certain interactions feel and practice skills in a rich virtual environment. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. Welcome back, my friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We have been dissecting this concept of competition, the culture of competition, you know, it's everywhere. It's in our families. It's in our, oh, man, mother-in-law, daughter-in-law, some serious competition going on there. Uh, in just Sky Boy's life, competing with me. Sky Boy versus Loin Boy. Yeah. It's going to be a new Battle of book. the Boys. <laughs> That's powerful. I'm pretty sure Loin Boy would win. No way. Yeah. How would Loin Boy win? Loin Boy? Are you kidding? Sky Boy? Sky Boy can fly. I bet Loin Boy can't. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's true. <laughs> That's very true. Um, I want a different name. I want a different name. That's a, that's what you were labeled in eighth grade. You can't. Change. I have no. I have a better one. I have a better one that I was labeled is when you're 11 years old. Is that before eighth grade? That's before eighth grade. Um, I can do the math here on that. Yeah. Okay. It is. I, I've got a better Thir- name. Thirteen. Thirteen's eighth grade. Okay. So I, when I was 11, I had another nickname. Jam bomber. As <laughs> the jam. Bomber. How'd you get jam bomber? That's actually well, pretty cool. It's a cool name, yeah. and it's a really cool story. So, um, and we've got nothing but time, so I'm just going to do this. <laughs> um, Rob's all ready to ask me some questions, but I really well, want to curious now. Jam bomber. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, w- I was an 11 year old Boy Scout, and they sent us up with our leaders for our first camp out. The first camp out that wasn't organized it was actually just up in the mountains, you know, not at some camp somewhere where there's fences to keep all the animals out. So we were sitting there all gathered around the campfire. And I'm, I, you know, it was my first camp out. Well, the, the scout leader um, was a military guy, and he brought these meals ready to eat, MREs, he called them. Mm. Yeah, they're really good. And he, in the meals ready to eat, it was like a tuna fish can, a little bit wider than a small tuna fish can, but and it had crackers in it, probably eight crackers. And then another part of the can was sealed with jam. Okay? Okay. Well, I didn't have a can opener. To open my jam, and I didn't know how to get the jam out. So I just ate the crackers. Well, when you're done eating the crackers and you have a can, where would you put it if this was your first time ever camping? The fire. I threw it in the fire. Yes. I threw it in the fire. I threw (laughs) a sealed container of jam, of preserves, in the fire, and then I just forgot about it. I just forgot about it. And so we're sitting there gathered around the fire telling stories, by the way, of Sasquatch. It was scary. Kind of ghost stories kind of things. Freaking each other out. And everyone was tense anyway. And then all of a sudden, bam, this huge explosion goes off and jam, hot lava-like jam spews all over everyone in the circle. Ah, they're screaming. They're burning. My eyes. They look like they've got blood because it's red strawberry jam. Boom. It would have been perfect if it was right at the time. Yeah, that was a story. And I know. Like, and then the bomb went And off. I don't remember. My timing was off. I think I put it in too early. And um, everyone's like, who put the jam in the fire? And I was like, I don't know. Who did that? I was so mad at whoever did that. And uh, anyway, I didn't tell anybody. And um, eventually my leader came up and said, that was your jam, wasn't it? And I'm like, yeah, don't kill me. But so I became the jam bomber. Did they really call you the jam bomber? No. See, I think you just made that up now. Because no, of I didn't story. make it up. No, I. That's a true story, and it's a totally no, true I, story. No, I believe that you made that you. There's no, a true yeah. story, you, but you, you made, made up the, the name. nickname. So oh, you no, just no. to well, tell the story. I made up the nickname for myself. Okay. Yeah, but nobody else ever called you that. You're still loin boy. <laughs> no, hold, 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 hold it. Jam bomber. Jam bomber precedes loin boy. I, by the way, made but up loin boy. Well, you little jam kids bomber. called me loin boy. See. But people were calling. You. But you, none of this has been verified. So I'm going to check Wikipedia. Well, I, I'd like I, you I think there's some competition going on here. Well, it is interestingly, no one called you Skyboy. 
Yeah, you started that. Right. You're the only one. <laughs> so, so I guess we're making up our own nicknames. I, I you made, made up, up my you made up my nickname. So if actually. I'm making up your nickname, I get to choose my and name. Every day I call him Matt Man. Yeah, and I call and, you Doctor Sanders or and, Colonel, Colonel Sanders. You know, no, but nobody else calls him Matt Man. Matt, Matt Man. Man. So, so, so I'm going to call him. So I'm going to call him Loin Boy. It's, it's a reference it's just, to the Adam okay. West class. <laughs> okay. Well, let's do this. You cut your mic off, <laughs> and we'll just. And I want to be called Jam Bomber. Okay. So let's go to the Internet asks Matt answers. Couple in their third. Yes. have been dating for three months. Cute. Going along great. Decided to sit down together to watch the football game. Big game. Big game. Big game. Big rivalry game. Rivalry game. Okay. The problem was he was really into his team, and she was kind of into the other team. Yeah. Cheering for each other's teams. It got nasty, eventually led to a fight because he kept turning every cheer of hers into a competition and into insults of her team and her. Yeah. But that wasn't enough. Now he's still mad the next day, accuses her of purposely cheering for the wrong team just to annoy him. Did he lose? It sounds like he lost. They, they, they left that detail, detail okay. out. I'm going to bet that he lost because he's still making a big deal about it. If he had won, he wouldn't care. But what do you do if you have a couple who are on different sides of a rivalry? You just act like a mature adult. You don't make a big deal of it. You take them on a campfire and you throw a can of jam and then you leave. Boom. Jam bomber. It works every time. (laughs) Available at stores near you. No, um, but honestly, I mean, get in line. Some people are Republican, some are Democrat. We're just going to fight this the rest of our life? At some point, that's, you know, oh, I figured different. if you're on opposite political parties, you just have to get divorced. You'd think so. You would really think so. And in some rivalries, you you ought not maybe state your rivalry. BYU and University of Utah have a huge rivalry. And I about died as wearing a BYU shirt into the University of Utah stadium. I about died. And I heard things I've never heard before. And I was assaulted emotionally. Go back to Provo, you zuby. But the the irony, my wife is, uh, she's a Ute. I went to the University of Utah and I went to Brigham Young University. And honestly, you know, whatever. But I just, it just. And you've made the marriage work this long. There's bigger things. There's bigger things. And you know what's great about the rivalry? Let's just make a rule. Look, whoever wins, they get, they win. So they're the king. Their team's better if they won. So we just go by who won. So whoever wins, won. And you got to deal with it for a year or till the basketball season. There's bigger things. There's bigger problems. Seriously. Wait till you have a seriously messed up child, for example. Hmm? A kid who can't Then you can really have something to fight about. Who their football allegiance is. Yeah. Because their parents are on different sides of the rivalry. Do not let a rivalry divide thee. You have a kid who's blue and a, uh, whose dad is blue and whose yeah. uh, mom is red, and the next thing you know, that kid's purple and rooting for Weber State. Yeah. Anyway, next. <laughs> you got another one? Yes. Yeah, so a um, uh, girlfriend writing in here who says her boyfriend, uh, it, it, everything turns into a petty argument. They're driving on the freeway. Sounds like Skyboy. They notice that in their state, a lot of people – Happen to have vanity plates. And so she says, oh, you know, there's a lot of people with vanity plates. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, it's, it's probably because you're looking for them. Okay. Well, there, another conversation pops up, you know. She says, oh, you know, um, you ever noticed how? And she'll point something out. Well, it's because you really like that. Wow. Gets really kind of defensive. Instead of just saying, oh, yeah. Sure. 
It becomes defensive sure. and almost competitive. Yeah. In the he way turns that... everything competitive. Yeah. Where do you go? No, that's it's just interesting. Um, I bet you she might be saying things. So I bet you there's two things going on. He's hyper reactive or whatever. He's kind of got he's got a burr in his saddle. To bring up an old uh, metaphor. He's got a burr in his saddle. But he she might be saying things. there's this weird thing that happens sometimes. Like my wife sometimes will ask a question. And in a way, I feel like she's taking me on. Like if um, if I said, oh, yeah, we probably ought to send the kids here and do this because and we ought to do it now just because of some information I have. Like have a mo- they, the, the kids probably ought to mow the lawn today um, just so we get it done. And then she'll say, why? And in my head, I'm like, you know, just trust me on this one. Let's not get into a long discussion on it. It's just into a long discussion but about it. But um, but it's, so I then all of a sudden, just because she asked why, I start having this reaction. Like, really? Well, because I checked the weather, and tomorrow's a holiday, and we're going to be running and doing 15 things tomorrow, and we're going to get home late tonight, which means they're going to want to sleep in tomorrow. And there's 15 reasons. So mm-hmm. instead of me having to explain it all. So I kind of understand what he's going through in a way, but he's got a problem. So according to this letter, your problem, buddy, it's, everything's not a battle. Everything's not a fight. Everything's not a war. She's just trying to make a point. Can the woman not make a point? And they might want together to figure out, is there something she's doing that constantly makes him feel a need to compete? Is he not feeling strong and validated enough? Is, is she a woman that's constantly sharing her opinions and competing, you know, head to head with him? I don't know. But there's some other competition going on there. They need to sort that out. Boom. That's my advice. Boom. Another competitive couple got their wings to fly. Folks, thanks for joining us. We hope you learned some tools about competition. It's a great service. It can also be a cancer at times if we don't use it appropriately. Let's try to create a culture of love at home instead of competition. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to BYU Radio. 